So we're going to take a question from Melanie, uh, and this is an interesting one. Uh, I'm really glad you asked this question. What do you think about anointing your home, specifically the sides and top of the door frame? I was recently criticized for doing so. I have seemed to feel comfort and protection from the practice. I'm an elderly woman living alone with my dog. Thank you for the context there. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I know there's no example in the New Testament. I've related it to the Passover and just praying over my home. And uh, by the way, Melanie, I appreciate the kind encouragement you shared afterward. And uh, I'm thankful for your friend that you mentioned turning on to the podcast as well and our church. And I don't know if we met your friend, but hopefully we will one day if we haven't already. But uh, I also very much appreciate your question. This is an interesting question, and it's one that actually is as is the subject of lots of blog posts, lots of uh, YouTube videos, uh, lots of books have been written on similar kinds of topics uh, in terms of spiritual warfare and and protecting yourself and and that kind of thing. And in in some of these discussions, uh, you will hear about the idea of anointing your house, your family, uh, your workplace, your uh, your car. You know things that that are places where you or your loved ones. Uh, may dwell and spend time in, in that kind of thing. And so there's a part of me that understands some of that. Um, and I understand the example you give for, uh, uh, you know, from, uh, from Exodus. And, and for those who are unfamiliar, um, in, in the night of the um, 10th plague being poured out by God upon Egypt in the time of Moses, as, as God was delivering them, um, the command from the Lord went forth to uh, for them to take a lamb, to uh, cut its throat, slaughter it, uh, for the blood from the lamb to drip into a basin. And then you would take a hyssop branch and dip it in the blood, and you would strike the doorposts of your home and the lentils of your house. And, and that night, the angel of death was going to, and did, go through the land of Egypt. And all of those homes that did, were not covered by the blood experienced the death of the firstborn of every uh, man and beast. Uh, so every household was struck uh, in Egypt that did not have the blood on the on the doorposts and lentil. Uh, but those houses, again, of the Israelites particularly, that struck you know their uh, doorposts and their home and such with the blood of the lamb, the the angel of death passed over them and they were spared this plague. Now um, it is generally held that if an Egyptian believed. Uh, after the previous nine plagues that this God of Israel was not to be trifled with, and they did this practice and covered their doorposts and such with the blood of the lamb, that they too would have been spared. And any Israelite who didn't take it seriously and didn't do it uh, would have experienced the consequences of that plague. Um, But the idea and the the great typology in this, of course, is the blood of the lamb, uh, the blood of Christ uh, seen in that picture as protecting us from death, uh, not physical death and that kind of thing like they would have experienced uh, because we do still die. (laughs) But we would be freed from the consequence of that rebellion against God and this kind of thing. And there's just much could be said about that. It's a wonderful typology. Um, But the practice of, of, you know, anointing uh, the doorposts and such um, is taken from that idea. Also in uh, places like um, Exodus 30, for example, uh, there is also uh, in, in the giving of the law, this idea of um, this idea of, uh, of a, re- literal, a literal recipe for anointing oil that was to be used for the tabernacle and for the priests or for Aaron. Um, and there was a warning against using it on any outsider and that kind of thing, but it was actually a recipe is given for this, uh, uh, holy oil, it's anointing oil. And so, you know, places like this sort of give us an old Testament, a recipe again, sort of, if you just use the term lightly to, 
to uh, for a practice that would have been practiced by them. I would argue that the Passover was a pretty specific event that took place. And to anoint the doorposts of our homes today with something short of the blood of the lamb is to sort of borrow from that picture, but not really follow it specifically. And I'm, 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 I know you're not necessarily trying to you know, follow specifically, but just the concept is what's in view here. And again, I understand the context you're coming from. You're elderly, you've got a dog, is, is kind of the only one living in your home with you. And so it's just as a matter of feeling safe in your home. Um, and feeling a certain sense of security from that practice. Well, let me argue, um, if you, if, uh, just, uh, with you that in the New Testament, and I'm glad, by the way, Melanie, that you recognize that there is no example of this in the New Testament. There's actually a far greater thing given to us in the New Testament. So let me kind of build toward that. Um, the Old Testament, as Paul says in Colossians, uh, chapter two, uh, all of the Sabbaths, feasts, holy days, the practices of Israel in the Old Testament were a shadow of a greater reality that is Christ. And so therefore, Paul says, don't let anybody criticize you for you know, not honoring the Sabbath days and the holy days and all those kinds of things, because these were a shadow, again, of, 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 a, of a far greater reality that is in Christ. And so what does that mean? Well, in Christ, these things were all satisfied. Uh, and so there's no... You know, places like that, places like Acts chapter 15, all that Paul talks about in Romans and uh, and in Ephesians and in other places, Galatians is a big one. Um, um, you know, you could argue Hebrews, the letter of the Hebrews, makes this argument that that in Christ, all of these things were satisfied, so there are, these things are no longer a thing. Uh, again, Acts 15, the whole council there in Acts 15 dealt with this very question. Uh, and so the practices, the law, all of the things that that were found in the Old Testament are satisfied and wrapped up in Christ. And so therefore, we don't pull, uh, we don't need to pull, and nor I would probably argue that we shouldn't pull things out of the Old Testament and practice them in the New as somehow being effective or efficacious in some way um, today because they have been satisfied in Christ. Now, if 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 you will, that brings us then to the New Testament. Uh, now I will say this though, and, and this is interesting. Um, there are two places in the Book of Acts that I can think of off the top of my head where an example of is given of what we would typically describe as uh, what what you would call like a point of contact for your faith. Um. Uh, and there's actually more examples in the New Testament, or at least one other one that I can think of right now. But in, in the book of Acts, um, matter of fact, in Acts chapter um, uh, 5, I think it is, Acts chapter 5, and this comes after Acts chapter 4, where, uh, well, obviously, duh, right? It comes after Acts chapter 4. But in Acts chapter 4, the apostles... Um, after being persecuted, um, they pray for boldness and they ask that God would release miracles and do all these great things so that Christ might be magnified and such. And the, the room they're in praying shakes and all this kind of thing. Well, following that in Acts chapter 5, um, there is mention here of uh, people gathering, following after Peter. Uh, where is it here? Uh Here we go. And in verse uh, 15, it says, So they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. 
Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, the the implication that is sometimes taken from this is that Peter's shadow uh, was used as a point of contact for those who were sick and tormented by unclean spirits to be healed. In fairness to the text, I don't know that there's a necessary connection between verse 15 of Peter's shadow and later when these others are brought. Seemingly, it's like sort of... Um, um, you know, it's connected maybe by the word also. It may be that his shadow is used there, but there's some debate as to whether or not those are connected. They're certainly in proximity, so there's reason to think they could be. Um, but that's one example of where, whether or not verse 16 is connected with verse 15. In verse 15, people believe that at least they got close enough to Peter uh, that he might be able to, um, 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 you know, experience a measure of healing or deliverance from demonic oppression and that kind of thing, or uh, an unclean spirits. Now, there is one example later in uh, Acts chapter uh, 19, where there's one where very clearly uh, there's a point of contact for faith. And this is with Paul in uh, ver- chapter 19, verse 11, Uh, where it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Uh, And then it goes on to describe uh, some itinerant Jewish exorcists and the seven sons of a priest named Sceva trying to attempt to cast demons out by the Jesus that Paul preaches. And it's kind of, I'm sure they didn't see it as hilarious. It probably is terrifying to them, but it's kind of funny from our perspective. This guy who's possessed beats the snot out of these guys and literally beats them naked. Uh, they run off and everything. But but notice again, verse 11 and 12. Um, there is mention here that pieces of cloth and such, a handkerchief or bits of his garment or whatever, you know, came from his person uh, or aprons and were brought to the sick and they were healed by them. Now, they weren't healed by them per se, but they do become, because healing really comes from God, right? And and I would argue that protection comes from God too, when it comes to things like, you know, anointing our homes in that. And I don't think you don't think that when you say you're experiencing comfort from that practice. I I, I don't doubt that you mean you, you just know the Lord is doing it, but this practice is just giving you sort of similarly kind of a contact point of faith, like we see in, in Acts chapter 19, or even for that matter, um, this is a big one, um, Matter of fact, it's something we we believe in our own church. We practiced it this weekend. Uh, Look at uh, James chapter 5. James chapter 5 in verse 13. Uh, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Okay, well, now there you go. Now, a lot of churches um, practice this. We believe, matter of fact, I, on Sundays, I typically have a vial of oil that I'll use, and I will, you know, if somebody wants to be anointed, they're sick, and they want, you know, a prayer for healing in that, we will anoint them. Again, we did this on Sunday with a brother who's going in for cancer surgery on his prostate on Wednesday, tomorrow. So we, we anointed him, we prayed over him, and asked God to heal him. Uh, and so we'll find out if God does, or if God did. And so, uh, but we, 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 we recognize that the oil doesn't provide the healing, but rather in James 5, it's the prayer of faith. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention in, in Acts 19, the miracles that Paul was doing in relation to people taking handkerchiefs or aprons and that, these were unusual miracles, it said there in that passage. And so this is not a common 
Uh, the idea of points of contact was not necessarily super common in that respect. The anointing with oil would have been a regular practice and remains so. But the idea of, of, of having that point of contact is an interesting one because it is encouraged here and, led, and, and given to us by the Holy Spirit in James where we anoint the sick with oil and pray. And it's the prayer of faith will ultimately uh, be the means to which God brings healing. But that oil does provide, again, kind of a point of contact for your faith. Now, that point of contact for your faith, those are like the only examples you really see in the New Testament. Not that you need to have lots of examples, but, um, but there is something that is given to us in the New Testament that is of exceeding value, and I would argue of even greater value than the idea of anointing your house or your car or, again, any of the various practices that exist out there. Um, And so I'll invite you to look at Ephesians uh, chapter 6. This is something I would strongly encourage. This is something I would would, uh, put out there as a practice that all believers ought to practice. There's no question about um, the... um, you know, the efficacy of, of, of protection against uh, spiritual oppression and that kind of thing and, and the spiritual warfare that exists. Um, this is a passage that clearly emphasizes that there is such a thing and how we are to approach it. And so this, this becomes really probably the single most foundational passage that helps us address this very question, uh, being protected um, from, from a, the spiritual um, you know, entities that, that would seek to undermine uh, a believer in that. And, and, and let me just, I guess, build into that by saying that we ought not, as believers, write off the idea of spiritual warfare. Uh, most believers generally do. You know, most believers don't necessarily understand the reality of this thing. But Paul understood it, believed it, and sought to equip believers for it so thoroughly that this passage— uh, is given to believers in the New Testament, and it is a practice that by no means, uh, or an approach to spiritual warfare is a better way to put it, that by no means should be passing off the scene. This is something we need to recognize. Now, there are um, two things to keep in mind um, in regard to spiritual warfare. Again, one is that it is a reality. You know, it is a real thing. As a matter of fact, in, in places like Daniel chapter 10, we find that Gabriel is coming to Daniel with a message, and literally he was making his way to Daniel for three weeks, 21 days. Um, from the time Daniel began to pray, it was about three, it was three weeks between the time that Daniel began to pray and Gabriel showed up. And the reason it took so long is because behind the scenes in the, in the, in, in the spiritual realm, among the principalities and powers, uh, this term we'll see Paul use here in Ephesians, it's a term that... Um, I, I believe, is always used of demonic entities and that kind of thing uh, and, and the realms in which they, they, they do their business. Um, but it's intended to help us understand it's not just the kingdoms of this world, but it's those influences behind them, demonically speaking. Uh, well, Daniel uh, found out that from Gabriel personally that this was a reality, and Michael actually came to Gabriel's aid in fighting off the prince of Persia. Uh, and so... Uh, what did that look like? We don't know. But was there, in fact, an actual spiritual conflict that took place behind the scenes? Yes, there was. And to believe that that doesn't continue on today, 
there's no reason to think that it doesn't still go on today. Jesus himself called Satan the god of this world. And so we should uh, understand that he is on a level, again, always under the sovereignty of God. He's Even in his wickedness, he's ultimately going to serve to, to fulfill the purposes of God as he brings human history to the direction he's bringing it. Um, but he is still of, of influence. When, when Satan tempted Jesus and said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world if you'll bow down and worship me, Jesus didn't dispute whether or not Satan could deliver on that. But Jesus came to win it back. You know, he came to take it back. Uh, he wasn't going to make a deal with the devil to, 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 to have him hand it back over to him. But there was no dispute about whether or not Satan could actually deliver on that promise. It was just that, you know, Jesus wasn't going to do it his way. So we should not be naive and think that that doesn't exist. However, we also should not um, go the other direction. And uh, again, like some authors and writers and bloggers and, and YouTubers and such, uh, sometimes would um, would have us believe that there are people today who can sort of see into that realm and instruct us on how specifically we are to fight this battle in terms of territorial entities and certain kinds of demons and certain kinds of situations in that. And sometimes they'll quote from other extra biblical uh, sources and those kinds of things. Um, I personally don't think there is anybody who can see into that realm. Merrick Daniel himself did not see the spiritual warfare that took place. He was told about it. Uh, and so I, I don't think that with respect to people like, um, uh, was it uh, Neil Anderson, I think, wrote the book? Um, Neil Anderson? I think it was Neil Anderson. Wrote a book years ago on this whole idea. And um, and, and others have been, other books have been written on this. And, and uh, but you know, and, and sometimes these ideas revolve around the idea of setting up like um, prayer focuses in certain areas because the demonic activity over here is particularly strong. And, and there's these sort of generals of the, of, the, of the army of Christ, you know, praying and calling for prayer over here because there's a territorial demon that is, you know, um, I, I, at some point, those things become pretty silly. And it's at a pretty early point that kind of gets out off track scripturally from anything we can really demonstrate from scripture with any consistency. I mean, like actually genuinely prove that somebody knows that there's a, a territorial entity, you know, whether it's in a, a place or at our house or whatever it is rather instead, what we do know from scripture, and this is again, where I'll turn our attention to Ephesians chapter six. What I do know from scripture is that believers are always to be girded up and ready for spiritual warfare. But the, the believer himself or herself is to be girded up with the resources that God has given. Uh, so let me go ahead and read from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, in other words, as Paul is beginning to wrap up the letter, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So the idea of being strong is a key thing. Understand that you are going to as Paul uh, spoke here, you will have the resource necessary to stand, but it is always going to be in the Lord and in the power of his might and with the resources that he has given us to stand. There is never the implication that you and I can stand on our own. Uh, again, Michael and Satan, Michael uh, in the book of Jude um, doesn't take on the devil straight on per se, but rather says the Lord rebuke you. And so Michael, who is arguably the biggest hitter in the angelic realms next to Satan himself, doesn't just himself sort of take on Satan, but, you know, kind of recognizes that it's the Lord who ultimately gives him the victory in this conflict. 
we need to remember that too. I mean, if we took the most meager of Wormwood style uh, demonic entities in the spiritual realm and the principalities and powers, uh, a novice, if there is such a thing, a novice demon kind of, per, you know, could, could wipe us out if we were standing in our own strength. But you will see here in this passage that even the devil's own schemings cannot take down those who are girded up with the armor of God, standing strong in the power of his might, strong in the Lord. And so there's on the one hand, the recognition that clearly spiritual warfare is not something to be trifled with. It is not something to be ignored. It is not something to uh, feel is not a, a legitimate real thing that we experience today. On the other hand, we are also not to be uh, overwhelmed and fearful in it and, and such, but rather to recognize what God has given us as individual believers and as the body of Christ, we all are, are given this to put on and therefore we can stand. And so notice what Paul says here again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, this is a legit reality that we don't want to uh, trifle with or we don't want to neglect or, or be naive to. Therefore, since this is true, therefore, uh, take up the whole armor of God. In other words, put all of it on. Don't leave some piece off. Put all of it on. Access all that God has given you to do battle in this area. Now, by the way, you don't have to go looking for the battle. The battle's looking for you. So be ready. Gird up. Uh, Recognize that God has equipped us with what is needed in his might, in his power, in him, to stand against even the schemings of the devil himself. Um, So again, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, you notice the word stand, uh, in some form of stand, is, is already been mentioned a bunch of times. The idea, implication being that we can stand. Uh, by virtue of, of standing in his strength and in the power of his might and putting on the armor as he has given it to us. Now, of course, this armor is not physical, literal, like there's not a shield we put on or a breastplate per se that we put on that we'll read about. But instead, this is uh, metaphorical, taken from like a Roman soldier's armor and that kind of thing. But Paul is using that illustration to help us understand how we ourselves have been girded up for the battle that we fight. That is not against flesh and blood. Important point to remember, by the way, when you're uh, having a hard time with somebody who is just getting on you about your faith or just making your life miserable. At the end of the day, they are being influenced by that which is the real enemy. They themselves are not. But that being said, put therefore uh, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And then Paul asks for prayer for him that he would be given entrance to share the word. So there is an offensive element to this as well, where you want to be girded up as you go in to do battle. But again, the battle is something that you a lot of times don't even need to go looking for. As you live your life out as a Christian, you are entering into the battle. But believe me, the battle is also looking for you. So you want to make sure you're prepared. This is the this is what the New Testament does give us in regard to being protected 
uh, in the area that we're talking about uh, that Melanie brings up here. It's you know the 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 striking of the doorposts and all that kind of thing. That was a specific element for a specific people at a specific time, under a specific circumstance, and that was their deliverance from the bondage in Egypt. Um, there is nothing in that passage that would lead us to believe that there is something effective about that in our day. Um, you know, if uh, just because they did that then under those circumstances doesn't mean we just sort of bring that into our practices today necessarily. Although, again, I understand the idea of having sort of this point of contact for faith and that sort of thing. But I would say in a much stronger encouragement to take Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, um, and run with that, um, recognize, and by the way, prayer, um, uh, which is not generally seen as a piece of the armor we put on, uh, although I do like the way my pastor uh, in Illinois uh, used to put it, uh, he referred to it sort of as being like the radio that keeps us in communication with HQ, with headquarters, you know, the idea that if we need reinforcements or we need supplies or resources, Father, please send them, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, so prayer is very, very important. Um, it's and, and to pray in all circumstances with all kinds of prayer. Uh, by the way, this is one of those places where some of those who, who believe in this spiritual warfare kind of prayer, and they sort of invent this systematic way of doing that, uh, that doesn't necessarily have scriptural support for. Uh, all kinds of prayer doesn't mean that we get to make up kinds of prayer. It's just, it speaks of, you know, in, 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 with thanksgiving and supplication and uh, even in worship and prayer and that kind of thing. We have examples in the Old Testament where they worshiped the Lord and God gave victory and that kind of thing. You can look at examples and see where God has worked in, in uh, through various kinds of prayer in the Old, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, um, but with all kinds of prayer, uh, we come before the Lord on behalf of the saints, on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of the glory of God, on behalf of the work he wants to do, uh, certainly in a circumstance where we want to feel safe at home. Uh, we stand in the power of his might, girded up with the armor of God. You know, um, this, is, this is the means that God has given us to stand against the spiritual warfare that may take place. Um, and we don't have to go to an Old Testament practice uh, in order to... Um, uh, in order to uh, feel safe and secure. In fact, we have been given personally resources very clearly and definitively, uh, as again, as enumerated here in Ephesians chapter six. So I'm not going to make fun of you and I'm not going to criticize you and that kind of thing. Because again, I, I kind of get where you're coming from and under the context of you know being elderly and living alone and that kind of thing. Um, although I'm glad to hear you have a dog. You know, we have three. And so the concept of alone uh, doesn't enter our minds very much. It's if alone comes up, it's usually like, okay, leave me alone or leave him alone or stop, you know, but, uh, just being a little facetious, but, uh, I love that you have a dog. They're, they're, they're awesome and companionship and that, but you know, um, the Lord is there with you too, all the time. You know, he is always present with you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. We can stand strong and knowing that he is with us at all time. Therefore, what can man do to me? Uh, and so, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, whether, you know, whether we, um, are, are, are fearful because we don't know what's going on in the world around us. We want to protect ourselves. We act in wisdom and that kind of thing. But even at the end of it all, um, the, the, the beautiful joy of the believer is that should some situation ever come up that precipitates you going to be with the Lord, then you're going to go be with the Lord. That's, 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 that's a win, you know? 
But in, in terms of like protecting your home and asking for that protection from the Lord, I would suggest that it doesn't require us having to adopt an Old Testament practice that, again, was very unique to a specific circumstance, um, but rather instead lean on that which the, the Scriptures uh, give us in the New Testament um, in that regard. So I hope that's helpful, and, uh, and I do hope that, um, that, uh, that you take advantage of that glorious set of resources that he has given us to ultimately stand against the schemings of the enemy and his desire to undermine and uh, and and determine uh, distract I should say and, and oftentimes even seeking to destroy. Um, thank God that he stands before us. Thank God that um, there are angels that are emissaries to those who are uh, ultimately going to inherit salvation. We thank the Lord that um, that we're safe in His hands in that and and not just a practice but rather the person Himself of God is our, is our front and rear guard. He is our shield, you know? And so, um, I would encourage you in that regard. Hopefully you find that encouraging. So father, thank you and praise you for giving us your word. And we thank you that we can stand secure knowing that we belong to you. And father, even if something is allowed into our lives that, uh, is adverse and, and, uh, and, and causes us to, um, just be in a circumstance that, that might be fearful. We know that you're with us in that. And the worst thing that could ever happen to us is ultimately experiencing that 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 end of life that leads for believers uh, into a glorious homecoming. And so we just pray that we'd always live in the confidence and knowledge of our security in you. And uh, when it comes to praying for safety for ourselves or uh, for our families and, and, and such, our friends, whatever the case might be, help us to uh, know that we have a Father who hears us and who has actually even equipped us to stand in the midst of spiritual warfare. So help us to take on the armor of God and having done all to stand, to continue to withstand even against the schemings of Satan himself. Thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you for the confidence that you give us, the peace that and rest that comes with knowing you. And we just pray for Melanie in particular that she would sleep soundly each night knowing that you are watching over her and that your hand is upon her. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you. And for anyone else who kind of is in that same kind of a, a place. And so we love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.